All right, church, um, we're just going to jump into it. The Word of God today, we are in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, the, the focus will be on verse 10. We'll read from 8 through 10, but the focus will be on 10. We, we hit on verse 8 and 9 last or the previous time I was up here. So we'll speak to it a little bit, but the emphasis will be on verse 10. I know Fernando's not here. <laughs> he would ask me for a title, and the title is God's Masterpiece. If you did not know, you are God's masterpiece. Imagine that. You are God's masterpiece. So we're going to look at that. And on today, um, we're going to look at how we are God's masterpiece. We're going to look at how we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. And then we're going to spend the, the most of the sermon, or the second half of it, really focusing on good deeds, what we are created for. So we'll spend a, a long time, or the most of the time, looking at our good works that we were created for being this masterpiece. So that's where we're headed today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so mighty, God. I love you, God. I love your word, Lord. Lord, I thank you for speaking to my heart, God, your spirit ministering to me, God, strengthening me, building me up, Lord, in your word, God. I pray that you do the same thing on today, Lord God. Will you bring revelation to the minds and the ears of my brothers and sisters today, God, that they will see that you are, that you have created them in a beautiful way, God. You are the master artist, Lord God, and you have intricately, intricately made them and shaped them for the good works that you have prepared, Lord. So, God, I pray that they see this, God, and that they find joy, God, in doing these works that are so pleasing to your sight. Glorify your name on today, God. Whatever I don't make clear, Lord, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, continues to minister to my brothers and sisters as they leave this place and go about the rest of their week, Lord. Glorify your name, God. Open the scriptures, God. Bring deeper spiritual revelation on today, Lord God. Bring us closer to you, Lord. Oh, God, that is our prayer, God. We want more of you. Help us to understand and see you in your glory, God. It's our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church. Ephesians chapter 2. And what I'll do is um, we'll read verse 8 through 10, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. So the word of God reads in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. Here goes our meat and potatoes today. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. For we are his workmanship. His workmanship. It's going to be a, a slightly long introduction before we really jump into 10, but so just bear with me. <laughs> um, on this Friday night, S and I, we were driving back from Tank House Barbecue, right? So on Friday night, we were, we had some barbecue, some brisket, Sister Debbie, <laughs> brisket tots. Oh my goodness, they're amazing. You got to go to Tank House. And um, on our way back, my wife informed me that Chad, uh, how do you say his name? Chad Boswick died and Chas Boswick if you don't know he's the star of Black Panther the movie that came out the hit movie that was probably the one of the biggest cultural movies in a black community probably since Roots or something like that this was a major movie right and he's a major star um but we found out as told me on Friday that he died he was 43 years old and he passed away because he um, uh, 
nobody knew, it seems, he had been battling uh, colon cancer for four years. Four years he had been battling colon cancer. And even while he was battling colon cancer, he still shot a number of movies and people didn't know, I guess, that he was battling cancer. Um, and so he, he passed away on Friday. And it really hit me. His death really hit me. Like, wow, this guy had all this in front of him. Hit new movie. He's a star. 43 years old. He passed away from colon cancer. And so his death hit me. And it wasn't just his death that hit me. If you recall last week, I mentioned my childhood friend, uh, Mario, who would take us fishing at Bannister Park. Um, he died from cancer. Sister Debbie, I may need your thing today. <laughs> okay. Um, he passed from cancer. And so I'm dealing with his death. And I had another friend of mine's, um, his dad died. And so I'm having all of this death right before me. And, and, and it's really been affecting me. And so after I got home, I, I went and I laid down and I began to pray and talk to the Lord. And I, I realized this. I realized that every day, believers, that we are allowed to wake up, we come one day closer to standing before the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, that, that's just a real reality. Um, Paul says we were all stand, right? So, so I, as, as I thought about that, I'm like, wow, we are, we are, every day we wake up, we're one day closer to that moment. And as I started to think about that day, thank you, sis. As I started to, to think about that day, um, I started to look at all my works, basically. I started to look at all my works and, and all of my deeds, and I started to think about all the things that I have done in his name. And I started to ask this question to myself. I said, is it enough? <laughs> I said, is it enough? Will he be pleased with me on that day when I stand before him? Will he accept me? And, and I began to think about all the times that I had shared the gospel and how I would go down to the to the mission. And 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 I asked myself, I kept saying, is it enough? Did I, did I share enough? Did I did I teach his word enough? And in the midst of me piling on all of this guilt, the text today that we're looking at, Ephesians 8 to 10 came to mind the text that I've been studying about all week how we are saved how we are saved by grace through faith and so before we jump into this text uh, and, and look at how we are saved by grace through faith and, and I hope that God provides you the comfort that he provided me I, I, I first want to show us how we got here to Ephesians 10 because I know it's only been what two weeks since I've been up here and just want to recap for you so so chapter 2 Ephesians 2 remember Paul starts off by reminding us the Ephesians that were dead in sin and and he shows us he goes down and shows us how we are made alive by by God's grace mercy and love and and how that love has seated us with Christ in the heavenly places and, and in the midst of Paul describing this miraculous thing that has happened to us uh, notice that he he never mentions works or merit in the midst of Paul describing this miraculous work that God has done in us by raising us and making us alive with Christ and seating him in the heavenly places. He, he, he never mentions our works or any merit or anything of that nature. And, and describing the salvation that has come our way, we being headed to hell, headed to the judgment seat of Christ to face his wrath, he does not say, oh, 
But because of your good deeds, this wrath has been averted. Or he doesn't say, oh, because you have helped enough elderly people, or you have served enough homeless people, or you have did a bunch of good deeds that you are now saved from the wrath of God. He does not point to anything that we have done. But he points to the mercy and love of God. And as we learn from chapter 1, this love and mercy that has come to us was a love and mercy that came to us since the, or from the foundation of the world. Before there was a creation, before there was a big bang, before there was the Pacific Ocean and animals and giraffes and, and lions, when God created all of that, you were a thought in the mind of God. And he had thoughts to do good to you. So much so that he would send his son to die for you and that he would bring you into his family and, and make you an heir and put a crown on your head and, and call you his own because you earned it? No, not because we earned it. Because you deserved it? No. See, there, there is something inside of our sinful human nature that, that makes us think that we have to earn God's favor. Think about this. In this letter here to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, guess what? He's writing to Gentiles, right? Paul is writing to Gentiles Christians, people who were not raised up on the law of Moses. Think about that. They were not raised up given the law with all these deeds that they had to do. They were not raised up with the oracles of God. They did not, or they were not given Leviticus. They were not given Deuteronomy with the law which showed you how to walk in righteousness. Yet Paul makes it a point three times in this chapter to state that we are not saved by our works. Verse 5, by grace are you saved. Verse 8, by grace are you saved through faith. And verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So while these Gentiles may not have been raised up on the law of Moses, in their worship of the Ephesian goddess Artemis, and in every man-made religion, there is a pressure to earn the favor of God or there is some rule or there are some deeds or there are some laws that you have to do to earn the favor of God or their God, small g, which they would believe in. But this is not so with the true and living God. We don't earn the favor of God through anything that we have done. The only one has been, who has been truly pleasing to God it's the one who heard, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it is through Jesus that we gain the favor of the Lord, that we gain the favor of God. But to some who may think, yes, Jesus gets me in the door, but from there I have to work my way in through good works, good deeds. Guess what? Paul has a word for you. That word is here in Ephesians 8 through 10. I'll read it again. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, verse 10, it starts off with the word for. Remember for, our Bible studies and Bible scholars, what does for mean? What is, what is for? For is a conjunction, right? So for means that 
he is explaining the previous sentence, right? And in the case of verse 10, he's describing the previous two sentences or verses because eight and nine are connected. And, and, and what is the point of the verse, the previous two verses that he's explaining in verse 10? The point of them is that we are saved by grace through faith. And faith here is contrasted with works in 10. So you have works being contrasted with faith. So, so Paul, what Paul is doing here in verse 10 is he is dismantling any argument of a works-based salvation by showing us that even the work that we do, guess what? They are a product or the fruit of God's grace in making us new creations in Christ. So we ultimately have nothing to boast about before Christ. Because not because whatever we do, it's all because of his grace in making us a new creation. And not only did his grace give us, not only did he give us grace to do those good works, but those good works that we do in his name, they were preordained before the foundation of the world. So wait, God. That means that when I sacrificially gave to help my brother and sister in need, that was you. And God would say, yes, your giving to your brother and sister was the fruit of my grace. And, and, and God, when I, when I went down to the, the women's shelter in, in convalescent homes, yes, God would say, I gave you the grace to do that too. I kind of created you for the purpose before the foundation of the works. These works I have preordained that you would walk in. Is this, these ideas that you have, that is, that is all me. But, but, but God, what about me, God? What about God when I, Jerome, went down to the homeless shelter and, and, and preached the gospel? Yes, Jerome, I gave you the grace to do that too. See, everything outside of Christ making you and I a new creation, guess what? We would have no good works. We would have no good deeds. So there's ultimately nothing for us to boast about. Let me remind you that prior to Christ coming, prior to the Father making you a new creation in Christ, may I remind you that you lived in verse one through four. That was your former address. Your former address before you were made new in Christ was verse 1 and 4 where you were dead in your trespasses and sins, where you were walking according to the course of the world, where you were walking according to the prince of the power of the earth, where his spirit was working in you as it now works in the children of disobedience when you were enslaved to your flesh of the body and mind. That was your former address prior to you being made new in Christ. And guess what? There was, n there was not many good deeds coming out of that former address. So, believers, you must understand that this is a big deal here when he says then that you are God's workmanship, this creation. See, when he says in verse 10, you, you understand this, when he says that in, in 10 that we are God's workmanship, what he's saying is that we are basically like we are God's product. It's kind of like I always I imagine like like you ever seen a science a scientist in a lab and they're back there you hear stuff banging and you see smoke coming out and then poof comes this new creation. That's that, that's kind of like what has happened with with us in Christ. God just like for example God made a new creation 
of Eve out of Adam's rib, right? Right. That's where this new creation has come from. God has kind of done a similar thing with us in Christ. He, he has made us new out of Christ. He, he has made us this new creation, this new product from, from Christ. See, this word, matter of fact, this, this word workmanship in the Greek, it, it's, it's the word um, poyama. I may be saying it wrong, but poyama. And, and in the ancient days, this word that is translated workmanship here in my text, it was used to describe the work of an artisan or a craftsman when they were making, uh, maybe if, if it was a, a song that they were creating through their art, or if it was a painting, or, or if it was a sculpture, or if it was just a poem, they would say this is their poemia, right? So this was their, their, their work piece. Or another word that, that's really more proper would be masterpiece. So th this word poeme was, was used to describe an artisan's masterpiece. And so you will see in some translation that this, this word here that is translated workmanship is, is translated as masterpiece. So you can read verse 10 this way. You can read this. For we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. Think about that, believer. You are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece in Christ. He has intricately shaped you and molded you for good works that he has planned for you. You are his masterpiece. Yes, you with all of our issues. Yes, us with all of our imperfections. Yes, even though we feel sometimes like we're, we're never going to get it right, that we're always messing up. But you are his masterpiece. And, and as Brother uh, Brian quoted today, uh, Philippians 1.6, God is going to continue to, uh, that good work that he started in you, he's going to continue to shape you as a master artist. Why? Because you are his masterpiece. You are his wonderful work of heart. Every curve, every, every line, every color, he is shaping you and molding you. You are his masterpiece. So any good deed, my brothers and sisters, that you do, you only do it. Guess what? Because the master has shaped you and molded you that way. So where is your boasting before God? Where's your boasting? There is none. There is none. Why? Because whatever we do in this life, we only do it by the grace of God, by his shaping us, by him making us new, by him conforming us into the image of Christ. So there is no works at all we can boast about. Any works that we do, it's all of his grace because the master has shaped us and molded us to do those things. Which is why we find Paul, for example, in verses like Ephesians 15.10 saying this, he says, if, um, not 15, I'm sorry, not Ephesians, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. There is no Ephesians 15. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain. But I love what he says here. He says, but I, but I labored even more than all of them. And then I love how he kind of just retracts and even clarifies what he means here. He says, but I labored more than all of, the, all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So it looks like he's pointing to himself laboring, but in the next sentence he says, yet not I, I didn't labor. It was the grace of God with me. 
So even the works that he's doing, he's saying, no, it's the grace of God. These, these good works that I'm doing, going out and sharing the gospel and, and telling the Gentiles about you, those good works that I'm doing, it, it is not me, he's saying. He's saying, I'm only doing it by the grace of God that is working in me. I'm only doing it by his Holy Spirit who is empowering me. I can take truly no credit because outside of Christ, outside of him, I'm just dead in my sins. I'm just separated from, from God, but it's all of his grace coming upon me. So he, he points to the one who gives him the strength to do it. That's why he's doing those good works. Another place we see that is in Ephesians 13, 21, where the writer is praying this. He's praying to the God of peace. He says, may the God of peace equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So Hebrews, Paul, they're saying, any good thing that I'm doing, this is God working in me. This is his grace doing it in me. I, I really can't take any credit, which is why we have nothing to boast about in our salvation. There's no works we can present because, again, whatever we do, and you're going to keep hearing this, whatever we do is by the grace of God. So where is boasting? So what works can I offer it up? What, what works can I offer in exchange for my salvation? There's none. It's all Christ. Now, with this statement in 10, verse 10, not only is Paul destroying the works-based salvation claim, but he's also taken on, this is very important, but he's also taken on our teeny tiny Western European American small gospel that is only concerned with personal salvation. He takes that small teeny tiny gospel that is only concerned with personal salvation and he balloons it so that we can see the full breadth and beauty of God's grace towards men. When I read verse 10, I, I imagine uh, like a little balloon. You ever seen a little balloon that's uninflated and it's just hanging there and you would just with one blow, you and that thing just and you begin to see all of the glory of God and his grace. And, and that is what Paul is doing here. He, he's going to blow into this gospel to our small little American Western gospel that's only concerned with personal, personal salvation. And he's going to blow it up so that we can see the, the breadth of God's grace towards man. See, Paul in this one verse here in 10 he, sh he's gonna, he shows us that we are not just saved from something. Let me say that again. Paul in verse 10 shows us that we are not just saved from something, that we are not just saved from something, from the wrath of God, from sin, from um, the kingdom of darkness, but that we are saved for something, to do something. So that's what he's showing us in 10, that we're not just saved from something, from sin, from wrath, from the kingdom of darkness, but we are saved for something, for a purpose, in addition to being saved from that. So he's going to show us that through 10. See, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters, you must understand that God he is creating a special and separate people, this, this holy nation, a, a kingdom people who have this one distinctive, or one of their distinctives is that they are a people that are zealous for good works right now here on this earth. And that's the people that, that God is shaping and molding. And I, I want to show you of more where you see that. Um, turn with me to Titus 2.14. I want to show you this. How Paul is showing us in Ephesians 10 that our gospel is more than saving us from, but saving us for something. 
saving us to do good works in the earth. Let me get there. Look at Ephesians 2.14. Well, I'll start um, 13 because it's good. Ephesians 2.13, he says this, Looking for the blessed hope, talking about Christ, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, 14, who gave himself for us, he gave himself, died for us, what to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to do what? To purify himself, a people for his own possession, what will these people be about? Zealous for good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. So God is saving you. He is purifying you through Christ. And he's making you his purchased possession. And this purchased possession, his masterpiece, they're going to be people who are zealous for good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. Now, this word zealous is very important because zealous means that you have this burning desire to do something. It's like a person we would call a zealot if they're fanatical about something. So Paul is saying here that we ought to have this burning, zealous desire for Good works. That's the, that's the special people that, that Christ has created in himself. This special people, one of the distinctive of the special people is that they are zealous for good works. So he didn't just save us for eternity, but he saved us so that we'd be zealous for good works. Not in eternity to come per se, but for right now here on this earth. Zealous for good works. See, yes, God has seated you or, or saved you and seated you in the heavenly places with Christ. Yes, that is, we have eternity with God for our future. But the right now and the purpose of your salvation right now is, guess what? It is good deeds and good works. You are God's masterpiece. And that's the masterpiece. That is what you have been created for. You have been created, Paul says, for good works. That's what he says in Titus 2.14, and he says it again in Ephesians 2.10. It's these good works, these good deeds. That is what you are created for. Now, if we're created to do these good works, if we're created new in Christ to do these good works, let me get back there, then the question we should ask ourselves, then what is a good work, right? What is a good work? And I, I think the the best verse that describes what a good work is, is the verse that we looked at a little bit earlier in Hebrews 13.21. Uh, let me read it to you again. Where he says this, well, I'll just start in 10 and I'll come down. In the benediction of Ephesians 13. He says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you, he's praying that God will equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight to Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So based on this verse, I would say that a good work could be defined as pleasing God by doing his will. That's a good work. Whatever it is, pleasing God by doing his will. And by doing his will, meaning his revealed will in Scripture. So whatever he has revealed in Scripture, the things that he's calling his born-again children to do, those are the good works that are pleasing in his sight. So that, that is what we're called to do, these good works that are pleasing to his sight. And if you want a list of good deeds, I would say look no further than the entire book of Titus. 
which we read, you know, through our missional community. Um, Titus is all about good deeds. And um, the good deeds in Titus range from taking care of your household to being those in, um, obeying those in positions of authority, showing consideration or meekness to all men. Those are all good deeds. Those are all the good deeds that we're created to do. And these are the good deeds that are pleasing to God. See, the end result, my brothers and sisters, the end result of our good deeds is ultimately the pleasure of God, to please God. And those good deeds, this is important, and those good deeds, guess what, can, I'm going to say it again, and those good deeds can include evangelism and salvation, but they are not limited to evangelism and salvation. In other words, the end result of our good deeds is not always a person being saved or coming to Christ. It's not a salvation or nothing. We want people to be saved. Yes, that is true. But the end goal of our good deeds is the pleasure and glory of God. Does this action please God? That is the end result of our good deeds. Another way of saying it is this, that God's pleasure, and if I can use such a term, is stimulated not only by sinners coming to faith, but also by seeing his children walk in obedience to love their neighbors as themselves, for other saints to do good deeds towards other saints, to parent your children. All of these things, born-again believer, bring pleasure to God. All of these things bring pleasure to God. And I, I want to give you some examples of that. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And in here, Paul is describing the widow that the church should take care of. Um, historically, it, um, the church may have had a list of widows that they would take care of. And in order for that list to make the list, where Paul says in verse 9 of chapter 5 to be put on the list, she had to meet certain qualifications. And those qualifications are all good works, Paul describes. And so I just want you to see what some of these good works look like here. Let me give you a, just a, a practical example of what good works that are pleasing to God. So look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. He says, A widow is to be put on the list if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one husband, having a good and uh, having a reputation for what? Look, look what her reputation must start with. Good works. And now he's going to go into some of these good works. Having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children. What is that? One of the good works that Paul is describing, and you'll see he, he, he shows that this is the list. Matter of fact, I'm going to just read down to verse 9 and 10 so you'll see what I mean. He says, um, having a reputation of good works, if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good deed. So Paul here is describing what some of these good deeds look like or would look like in the life of a widow. And so the first one he uses is that if she had brought up children. So right there, that is just simply parenting. Parenting. Some of you guys should be saying, whoa, so parenting is a good work that brings pleasure to God. When you parent according to God's word, when you're a parent as a born again believer, it is a pleasure to God. 
But, but, but Jerome, I, I thought it was only a real pleasure when I did the super spiritual things like preach on the pulpit or, or preach on the corner or, or preach in YouTube or, or go on missionary trips. I, I thought it was only those deep spiritual things that are pleasing to God. No, I mean, yes, those are pleasing to God. But guess what? Moms, wives, parenting your children is a good deed. Guess what? That brings a smile to God. That, that should be just, that was just, that's mind blowing. It, it's not those deep spiritual things that we think, oh, I got to do something to warm. Oh, I'm sacrificing. Oh, I'm going to this third world country. Now God is, no, it's simple as parenting your children. So that's one of the good deeds that this widow must have. So that shows you again, that parenting your children and they're not here today. I thought about Veronica and Anthony, how it's pleasing to the Lord as they advocate for Emma to make sure that Emma gets all of the services that she needs so she can thrive. I mean, that they should, they can rejoice in that, knowing that they are pleasing God every time they advocate for their daughter to make sure that she's getting the best service. That is pleasing to the Lord. That is a true good work. Let's look at the next one. So she brought up children. She has shown hospitality to strangers. This means that she was a, a hospitable person. She invited people into her home. She, she took care of them. She gave them the red carpet treatment. She, she gave them food. She gave them clothing. She was a good host. And the, this stranger was likely just, it, it may have been believers that she just weren't acquainted with, you know, who may have been coming on a, on a missionary journey, for example, and they're gonna stay in her house and she's gonna put them up and she's gonna take care of them. Guess what? That is a good deed, being a good host. It's a Christian that brings pleasure to the Lord. So it's just mind blowing. Simple little things like this brings pleasure to God. And the people I thought about in this case, and they're not here, is Anna and Emil when they hosted the missionaries from, I forgot where they were from, but they came and they just immediately, they were unacquainted with these people. But because of this bond with Christ, they said, come on in and they stayed at their house. They did a good work, a work that was pleasing to God. Let's look what else that this widow did, good works. She washed the saints' feet. Think about that. She washed the feet of the saints. So nobody's getting saved here. That's why I said that it's not just salvation issues that bring God pleasure. She's washing the saints of others, the other believers. And I, I think this is an important point because... Again, with our sometimes narrow Western Americanized view of the gospel that is only concerned with personal salvation, we, we'll go to certain texts and we'll bring this evangelistic narrow gospel perspective and, and, and make every action, everything a salvation or evangelistic issue. And, and what I mean by that is, for example, in Matthew 5, 16, the Lord Jesus says to let your light so shine, you know, shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. When we come to that text, for example, if we come with a narrow gospel or a small gospel, we, we often believe, at least I believe that, oh, that verse is talking about unbelievers. Let me do these good deeds so they can see God and maybe come to faith and be saved. But when you look at Jesus in that that context, if you step back to in Matthew 5, 15, he talks about the lampstand being a light. And he said that that lampstand shines light to all who are in the house, believer or non-believer. 
And, and the point that I'm getting at here is that this widow here who's washing the saints' feet, she at that time, she is fulfilling or realizing Matthew 5, 16. She's letting her light shine before men. That man happens to be a believer. Now that believer who's now getting their feet washed by this saint is now glorifying God for this humble act of the servant. So, so, so you see that she, she's fulfilling that. She's letting her light shine. She's washing the saint's feet. And that is a good deed that is now glorifying to God. That is a good deed that brings God pleasure in the simple things of our acts to even one another as brothers and sisters. So even the things you do for one another, you and I, those are acts that are pleasing to God. They bring pleasure to God. Those are good deeds that glorify his name and bring him pleasure. Now, the last thing that she does here is, oh, I lost my spot here. Here we go. It's, uh, he says, if she has assisted those in distress, assisted those in distress or assisted those in afflictions, when I think of people in scripture who have assisted others in affliction, one of the people that I immediately think about is Dorcas or Tabitha in, in Acts 9, 36-42, because she had this ministry to widows. And if you're a widow in the first century, you were definitely afflicted, which is why Paul is even making a commandment to give you, uh, the church a whole chapter on how to deal with widows. Because if you are widowed in the first century, you had no male... It, it's hard to support yourself. So, so if you were a widow during this time, you were definitely distressed. You were definitely afflicted. And, and so I think about Dorka, how she did these good deeds towards these widows. So much so that, that Acts 9.36 says this about Dorcas, that she was abounding with, kind, with deeds of kindness and charity. So she had this ministry to the widows. And I'll say widows again because at her deathbed, it was the widows who were surrounding her and holding up, holding up all the garments that she made. So this ministry that Tabitha had was the good deeds that God had shaped her to do. Do you, do you see that? See, she was also God's masterpiece. And God, in his masterpiece, had shaped her. He had prepared these good works for Tabitha to do from the foundation of the world. So now she's just living out what the master creator has made. See, she's living out these good deeds that are pleasing to the Lord. See, those good deeds that Tabitha had towards the widow were how God has shaped her or God has made her. But what about you? How has God shaped you for good works? How has the master artist and the master craftsman shaped you? What interest do you have? What people group do you have an interest, interest in? How has he shaped you to pursue in the area or to show good works to others in whatever area that he has called you to? I believe that this shaping and molding that God has done in each one of us is the reason why there is a variation of activities that we as Christians pursue. For example, last week Anthony brought up Christians who are engaged in uh, getting kids out of child sex trafficking. Now there are some Christians because God has shaped them, the master creator has shaped them and molded them to exercise good deeds in this area. This is where they spend all of their time doing. And guess what? Praise God for that. 
These are the good works that God has prepared for them to do from the foundation of the world to bring him pleasure and to glorify his name. So praise God that he has shaped and molded some Christians and made them fit for this good work. Or it may not be child sex trafficking. There are many Christians who are really serious and passionate about abortion, for example. They are dedicated to this issues because they, they are so dedicated to this issue. They perform their good works through maybe going to pregnancy centers and trying to counsel different women and showing them other options as opposed to abortion. Why? Because this is how God has, has shaped their heart. This is how the master artist has shaped them for good works. These are the good works that he has prepared for them to do from the foundation of the world. Or you have other Christians like me who, who love justice, where this is such a big deal, which is why I love, I love what's happening in society right now. I love that people are considering and thinking, how can we love our neighbor more and how they're considering the afflictions of a people group who, who has been disenfranchised for years. I love that people are saying, how can I love my neighbor more? How can I be more just? How can we create a more just and equitable society? I, I love these justice issues. I love what's happening now. Why? Because that's one of the ways God has shaped me. That's why I'm such passionate about this issue. And it's not just social issues. I can be at work and when I see a contractor trying to get over, it bothers me. I, I don't like that because it's not just, it's not right. So, so that is a way that God has shaped me and I try to exercise my good deeds in these areas of justice. So it's, how has God shaped you? What interests? One of the last people I'll mention is Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I believe that the master artist has shaped him or he did shape him for this civil rights and, and, and uh, the areas of civil rights and meeting the needs of the poor. I believe that God shaped him and molded him for that, that particular purpose that God had for him to do these good ways, to these works, to bring about civil rights throughout the world. That is how God has shaped him. That's how God molded him to carry out these good deeds. So God has shaped us all. We're his masterpiece. And he has shaped us and molded us to do, as Paul said, these good deeds that we are supposed to be walking in. Now, this last point. You can argue from King, MLK, or from any other Christian activity. You can say, but there were other Christians that actually marched with MLK. There were other non-Christians, there were other secular, other religious groups that also marched with MLK. And there are other Christians who have also done some of the good deeds that we do or some of the good deeds that are prescribed in the Bible. So how are we different from them? Aren't there good deeds pleasing to God as well? If they're doing the things that are prescribed in the Bible. Well, I would say first, we know that the Bible says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you are in the flesh and not made new by the spirit, even your good works are tainted by sin. Outside of the work of Christ, all of our deeds are filthy rags. So that's point one. Point two is this. Only those with eyes to see will recognize your good deeds and that they are done in God. So yes, it may look like everybody else, my good deeds of handing the food to the, the poor may look identical to the Buddhist, the atheist handling the food to the poor. But guess what? Only those with eyes to see will know and understand that your good deeds, what you do are done or worked in God. And point in case is Jesus. Jesus did many good deeds, right? 
but only those with eyes to see were able to recognize God in him. And it's the same with you. Yes, your good deeds may look like everybody else's, but those with eyes to see will know that your good deed that you do is done in God. That the way you love your spouse, love your wife is done in God. That the way you parent and love your children, that is done in God. That the way you are an employer, it is all done in God. Those with eyes to see, who God in his grace has given them eyes to see, they will know and see that your deeds are done in God. And in that they will glorify our Lord. So we can't worry about everybody else if my deeds look identical. The people with eyes to see who God has called, they will see what you do. And some of them will be drawn into the kingdom by those works. And not only will they see, but also your brothers in Christ will also see your good works. And they will glorify God as they see what you do. So we don't get concerned. If God sees and those who he, whom he has granted to see, see our good deeds then we're good. There's nothing else to be concerned about. The master sees and is pleasing to him. It's good. So brothers and sisters, to, to end this, you must understand and see as Paul was showing us here, we are God's masterpiece. We are his beautiful work of art that he's created and he's constantly weaving. God has shaped you and created you to be zealous for good works. So go. Be zealous for good works, not for the sake of earning your salvation, but for the pleasure and glory of God. For the pleasure and glory of God alone, we do these good works. Brothers and sisters, it'll be such a joy in your life if you can come and understand that even the simplest, smallest things you do, such as parenting your kids, brings pleasure to God. It'll change the way you make breakfast. I know it does to me. Now I'm thinking about, now I know when I'm going and I'm preparing breakfast and, and taking care of my family, I know that this small little action brings pleasure to God, that that is considered a good deed unto God as a man taking care of my household. See, that changes breakfast. Guess what that changes when you're picking up your kids from school? That, that changes night times, maybe if you're reading to your child. That changes all that because all of those things now become good deeds that bring pleasure to God. Every small little thing, going and taking your wife to get this, going, doing whatever activity that is called for in Scripture. When we do those things, the smallest, simplest things, guess what? It brings pleasure to God and actually bring your life joy to know that at that moment that God is smiling, that he is pleased with this action that, oh my believers, that should bring you so much joy. My dad yesterday was, was, um, he asked to vacuum our car and he, as he's vacuuming our truck, our detailing it, he said, Jerome, was this a good deed? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're, I know she washed feet. You're washing her inside of our car and you're taking care of your family, your son, and you're making sure that they're well. That is something that's pleasing to God. You're pleasing to God by vacuum the car. Believers, that should change your life. All the little things we do. God is pleased when we do them in his name. When we when we're, we're walking in accordance with the scripture. This is such, for me, this is such a breath of fresh air. Because I would, now I'm done with the sermon, but um, this, is, this, this verse was such a breath of fresh air because early in my Christian walk, I guilted myself 
to think that if every moment of my life, if I'm not sharing the gospel, evangelizing, passing out tracts, then I'm not pleasing to God. That's how I thought. I thought that, that this was the only thing. Why? Because all of the teachers I listen to, all they talk about is missions. So I thought that's the only thing that matters. But seeing texts like this, by looking at the widow, how the small, simple little things are pleasing to God and that the ultimate end result of my works is not salvation per se, but it's God's pleasure, which can be in so a multitude of things. It just opened up everything. But now all the matters when I love my kids, you, everything, it's, it's a pleasure to the Lord. And now I get joy because I know I bring my Lord pleasure in the small little things. So I pray that God opens your eyes to see that as well. It really will change your life. It will bring you more joy. If your heart's desire is to bring pleasure and glory to God, which we, I know it is. So let's, let's go in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your word. God, oh God, thank you for showing us the multitude of ways how we glorify your name and can bring you pleasure. God, I want to spend my life bringing you pleasure, Lord God. Spend it giving you and bringing you pleasure, Lord Jesus. Oh God, thank you for showing us in the scripture the many ways to do that. Oh God, people, I want them to know you, God. They need to see how good you are. Lord, help my brothers and sisters understand this text. May they find more joy in their life as they know that you're pleased in their behavior if they follow you and your will. Glorify your name, God. Open this scripture, God. Unpack it as they go throughout their days, Lord. We bless your name. Hallelujah, church. Amen.